Rebecca and David. If you need to go now, thank you very much. Get home safely. But we're moving into the last session and we have three excellent CIOs to be interviewed in a fireside chat style for the next 33 minutes. Please welcome back Amanda White. Thanks very much. Hi, everyone. Well, we're nearly, we've nearly made it. Uh, only a little while to go and um, I'd like to welcome my panel of CIOs to come and um, talk through what we've covered over the last couple of days. Um, the idea of this session is to have you get to know some investors a little bit better, uh, but it's also to give some closure to the conference in terms of uh, some of the uh, issues that we've covered. And so to that end, I'd like to invite anyone who, that, who has a comment or, or question from the last couple of days to, to raise their hand throughout our conversation and, um, and, and let us know what you've been thinking as well. This is a, a casual, closure, um, inclusive conversation. Uh, so I'm joined on stage um, on my far left by uh, Edward Van Gelderen, who's the quite recently appointed CIO of PSP Investments in Canada. Uh, he also spent some time as CEO of APG and also um, at the University of California Regents Chief Investment Office, Officer Office. Um, in the middle, Nina Bergring, who is the CIO of Veritas uh, Pension in Finland. And then to my immediate left, Michael Trotsky, the uh, local boy, CIO of MassPrim. I'm going to get each of them to just tell you all a little bit about um, their funds and what that looks like from an investment point of view. Um, and then we're going to just get them to comment on some of the things that we've covered in this conference, which has ranged from SDGs and impact investing through to biotech, uh, monetary policy, interest rates, and now inequality. And we'll try and bring all of that home in about 30 minutes. So, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with you, um, Michael. Do you want to just fill people in on, on who Mass Prim is and who you are and, and what, the, what the current investment um, landscape looks like for you? Okay, great. Um, and thank you for inviting me. I uh, didn't have far to, to travel. Uh, I live about five miles from here, and also I work about five miles from here. And yes, I'm the uh, executive director and uh, chief investment officer for the local state pension fund, which is, I don't know if we have slides, but there's a asset allocation slide that we put together, I think. That's me. But it, there it is. Um, we're about $75 billion. Um, and today about 39% of that is in global equities and about 40% is in alternative investments, including private equity, private debt, real estate, Timberland. We're one of the world's largest holders of Timberland around the globe, including in Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, portfolio completion strategies is a, is a, uh, it's a catch-all bucket of uh, diversifying assets that includes hedge funds. We use hedge funds in a very uh, different way. We use them as a true diversifier to our large equity risk uh, premia. Um, we also have some agriculture in there uh, and some insurance uh, programs and, and uh, various catch-all uncorrelated assets. Um, $75 billion goes to support more than 300,000 beneficiaries 
I'd say that what makes Massachusetts unique is that I don't have anything to do with the benefits. So I'm, you know, my organization is just purely an investment management organization, uh, supporting the needs of the uh, uh, pension benefit side. Um, we also, unlike most other plans in the country, most other states in the country, I actually have clients. I have more than a, a hundred clients, if you if you believe that. I have two captive clients. Uh, they're large. They're uh, the mass state uh, retirees, that those people who have worked for the state of Massachusetts, and also all teachers. Um, and then we um, have a hundred clients that make up about 15% of our fund, and they represent the municipal workers across the country in every little town and municipality, and I have a hundred of them, more than a hundred of them, and they can choose whether or not to invest uh, with PRIM or not. We have won most of them, but that's what makes us different. And I'd say, um, as I've traveled around the country, and I've been doing this job for nearly 10 years now after a 25-year um, uh, stint in the, in the private sector, managing, founding and managing two um, hedge funds, and then I was an analyst and portfolio manager for a large um, uh, long-only manager here in town. Um, uh, but I'd say what makes us different um, is that we have a very, very balanced board uh, of nine people. And I always like to say to this audience, and I benefit from it really, is no um, one elected official dominates the board. We have um, three the governor sits on our board or has a, a, a designee and has two appointments. The treasurer is the chair and has one appointment. And the remaining four are members of the beneficiary. So no one elected official controls the board. And I can't emphasize that enough. It makes for a very balanced board. And it's a very non-political board. Um, I'm, not a very, I'm not a political person. I really don't like politics and um, try to check my personal beliefs at the door before I I come to work every day, but I think that's what makes Massachusetts very unique. Michael, what about your, you've got a reasonably lean team. Can you tell, tell us about your structure, internal, external assets, what your investment philosophy is? Yeah, so um, we're about 50 people. Uh, half of those are in finance and operations. We look like a gigantic mutual fund because we have so many clients and the reporting requirements are quite complex because our clients can either buy the whole investment strategy, as you see here, or they can buy individual buckets. So it makes the reporting very uh, complicated um, and, um, and sophisticated. Um, and then the remaining half, about 25 employees, uh, manage the $75 billion and were split by asset class, although I do rotate people around. Um, and that's how we're organized. And internal versus external? Um, we're just about 100% external, so we pick managers, but it is a major thrust of, of ours to do more and more uh, direct. So we pioneered really direct hedge funds, direct in the sense of no um, fund of funds managers. We're, we're also contemplating a seating platform. In real estate, we do more and more direct. That's the easiest for us to do direct, but we're contemplating internal management. Um, uh, and, you know, in Boston, we have access to a great uh, financial workforce, the people who want to live here and are uh, trained, 
and I think we have good access to them and we've also been able to raise our pay scale enough to start to attract those kind of people. And I think you'll see us do more and more of that. So I'm going to go to the two other funds and, and just hear, lay the groundwork and, and hear about them. But I'm going to come back to you and ask you, or ask all of you actually, what the most defining thing of the conference was for you and what the most pertinent point and or what is the biggest issue around your investment committee meetings at the moment. So we'll come back to that, but have a think about it. Nina. Okay. Yeah, I need the mic. Um, Nina Bergering, Veritas Pension in Finland. We're a tiny fund, three and a half billion euros. Um, and I won't tell you maybe so much about how we, our, our sort of allocation or investment, because it's more important that you understand the pension system in Finland and how it's different. It's the third best pension system in the world by M MGPI, and it is by far the best in the world um, in terms of integrity, which means governance, transparency, costs, and the safety of the beneficiary. I'm very proud of that. Um, so I work in the private sector, but actually I say we're sort of half governmental. So we are four companies, out of which one of my competitor is here today. There, Hanna. Yeah, we compete bloodily, but we're friends. <laughs> um, so we um, we cover we four companies cover almost all the private sector workers in Finland. So it's a very concentrated sector. Um, my my colleagues, my competitors are, are much larger than we are uh, in terms of as investors. Uh, the system is combined pillar one and two. So it's a hybrid system where the state has outsourced the state pension to us private sector companies. So combined pillar one and two, hybrid sort of pay-as-you-go, partly funded, very complex system. But I simplified it. It is, um, it is, um, you know, one um, one product for everybody. So um, everybody in Finland who works in a private sector, uh, by law, has the same pension benefits um, defined by the law. So it's defined benefit as well. Um, so we manage a, a small part of the buffer um, uh, buffer fund, in a way it's 25% funded. Um, and for the system and for the buffer fund, on the system level, the target return is 3.5% real returns over a very long horizon, which is 100 years. But um, because we are four companies, and we've sort of gotten the government money as well, we need to compete. So we have a solvency system which actually defines our target. So my target is to beat Hanna every quarter. Every quarter. She's beating me this year, but I've beaten her five years prior. So, <laughs> so, um, so we're competing, we four companies are competing with the investment returns on a quarterly basis, which is a bit weird. We're still long-term investors, so we're sort of, how do you call it, by, I'm so tired now, my English is really bad, you know, we're bipolar in a way. We have to make long-term investments, and we want to make long-term investments because that's our investment belief, long-term value creation, but we have to manage the market risks on a very short horizon. So we basically have to have two processes, process for finding the, the long-term value-creating assets where we believe in active management. We have a very concentrated portfolio. 
and then we have to have a process for solvency risk management. And that's how we work. All right, we'll, we'll come back to you as well on, on your findings from the conference. Edward, welcome. Thank you. Um, you'll tell us a little bit about PSP. There's one slide, um, maybe you can put it up. So PSP is among the, uh, I would argue, the top five uh, Canadian, large Canadian pension plans. Um, it has been very much under the radar in contrast to many, uh, many other Canadian plans. Um, but when I decided to, to join PSP a year ago, there were a couple of things that I found um, very interesting. And one of them is it's a relatively young uh, organization. It was established in 2000, and it looks after the liabilities of the Canadian government after 2000. So we do have very long uh, uh, liabilities. And the other interesting thing is that we are still cash positive, uh, and that remains the case for the next at least eight years before we really start paying out anything on, uh, on liabilities. So it's a very um, rapidly growing uh, plan. Um, another thing that makes it very interesting to me uh, to be in Canada now is um, I used to work for APG in the Netherlands, as you said, um, for APG basically working for a similar environment, the Dutch government, but very, with a very different uh, liability structure, but also a very different regulatory regime. Um, then I moved to the UC, um, and again, it was a different environment. There is actually a very significant pension plan within the UC of 65 or even 70 billion. Um, and again, it was interesting to contrast what was actually happening to that fund and the discount rate compared to the Netherlands, only to move to Canada and find, hey, there's actually a third system now. Um, so I'm actually enjoying it very much. It's already over a year, but it seems like I just started. All right, great. So, you know, during the course of this conference, we've really talked a lot about risk and, and different risks to systemic issues, uh, financial markets, um, on some opportunities, obviously, but um, a lot of it's been about risk. What, what's your view of the world now, Michael, in terms of um, you know, your risk tolerance and, and what are you doing about that? Yeah, so I, I mentioned that we have a 39% um, allocation to global equities in our portfolio now. Um, about 6% of that is in a put spread collar program that really changes the payoff picture of global equities uh, in a sense makes it less volatile. And um, that 39% including, includes the 6%, but is down from 50% just a few years ago. So we've been gradually de-risking the fund um, based on the longevity of this, uh, this cycle since the downturn, the fact that valuations are getting uh, higher and there's a ton of geopolitical uncertainty as the professors outlined this morning. Um, but I, I have to say, you know, um, you know, I know you asked me to comment on what uh, makes me lose sleep at night, and you may have picked up from my remarks that politics are what makes me lose sleep. Um, I'm not a political person, and I really resist when politics influence what I do or what Prim does. So that has a profound effect on me and, and, and you know, causes me to lose lose sleep wondering um, how my daily job is going to change from day to day. For example, this morning we woke up and we heard that President Trump is considering um, denying access uh, to Chinese markets. Pension funds may not be able to 
invest in Chinese markets. I don't think anyone in this room would support that. I don't support it. Um, but that's the kind of thing I worry about. And the most poignant part of the two, day, two days that I've been here was in the last session when we had three people on the stage and we couldn't reach a consensus on Walmart being either a good <laughs> or a bad company. And in a sense, um, that's what I deal with every day. I have a very balanced board of nine people. Um, two of them are teachers. They tend to be very progressive, forward thinking. They feel very welcome in this room. They'd be a part of it. I also have a big contingency of firemen and policemen who are not so um, uh, progressive. And you can imagine um, that they would probably disagree on Walmart and many other things too. And I know this conference is very much um, focused on being an active investor and thinking about bigger picture world uh, events, but as the panel showed, with only three people you can get disagreements. Imagine what I face with 300,000 beneficiaries, all with different backgrounds and different ideas of what's right and wrong. It's a very challenging um, situation for a CIO. Edward, you, you mentioned you've been uh, at PSP now since August last year, and part of your reason for joining was the opportunity that you could see. What, what are your plans for the portfolio? Is there anything in particular that, you're, that you yeah. want to change or you're working on? So I think the, the, the discussion I have is um, actually primarily focused on risk. And it's quite interesting if you really consider PSP as a young organization with a lot of cash coming in, so for 15 years, I think there was an enormous pressure to invest. That was really the, the biggest challenge. The teams were actually sourcing deals, structuring deals, put it in the portfolio only to realize there was even more cash. So that was really the focus. And so when I joined uh, a year ago, one of the reasons for, for me joining, uh, joining this, this CIO group was because the board basically stated like, we had a great run over the last 10, 15 years but we cannot continue like this. Um, we really need to have a, a top-down perspective, a total fund approach. So one of the questions I had to actually to the board members was like, well, what is actually the mandate that we have here? And specifically um, with regards to risk, it was pretty unclear. So when we started to reach out to the, to the government or our, our contact point within the government to ask about this, like, what is actually the, the risk framework that we have to deal with? Um, then suddenly the story came out like, well, actually you have to become more liability aware. Because you know we have to, or the government of Canada has to put more money into the plan as soon as there's a deficit. Um, 10 years ago, that was less of a problem. Now with 170 billion, it's a bigger problem. But if you really believe that in 10 years time, it's gonna be 250 billion, a 5% deficit is actually a big fiscal burden for the government of Canada. So it's quite interesting time that now we, we get more grip on what is really the risk parameter to run this, uh, this plan. And basically what I focus on is, is the portfolio construction from a total fund perspective, um, not to have this enormous uh, position to equity-like investments, but really almost to come to an all-weather type of portfolio. 
Um, and that's, that's an interesting process because we have to speak to all the different asset classes about this. Um, you have to convince them that sometimes it's in the best interest of the total fund not to do an equity-like investment, but more a fixed income-like investment. Um, so the mindset really has to change within PSP going forward to really create this robust, uh, let's say, policy portfolio. Sounds like a nice big project for you. Mm -hmm. um, Nina, you're a prolific note taker. What have you observed over the last two and a half days? What are the key takeaways for you? It's all here. <laughs> no, um, I mean, these three days have really resonated. And if you remember, I was a bit angry at this one person on the first day who was having giving us false facts about Europe. And, and actually what I said then was that was what came out from this last panel as well. We as investors, we must see to that there are tougher labor laws like we have in the Nordic countries because that's the most efficient way of addressing many of the S issues that will be the solid ground that the sustainable economy of the future will be built on, which we all need and our beneficiaries need. So in a way, I think the Nordic model has been vindicated during these three days. So I'm pretty glad about that. But a few other things. I'm so relieved and thankful for Stephen Kotkin for allowing me henceforth to ignore anything that I hear or, or would read that has the word Trump in it. <laughs> I don't have to bother anymore because the institutions seem to be working and that's the important. So thank you, Stephen, that's helpful. Um, and then um, our definition of what is investing, I wanna take up here, is researching and forecasting the future of the world. And based on this work, making active capital allocation decisions to good assets with proper risk return profile. That's our definition of investing. And we like it, of course, because we've written it. But it means, and that's also come through these three days, we investors need to be um, researching the future. That's our job. The history is history, and we need to understand it. But in order to know what are the risks and returns and what can we expect for our beneficiaries, that is future studies. And it's very, very difficult. So, so um, my question to all of you is, well, how do you do in this, this in your organizations? You know, should we all actually have a systems thinking, multidisciplinary research group that can go out there and research anything that's relevant for our investments in a sort of a five to 10 to 20 year horizon? I think that's what we all should be building. So that's my take on these three days. Thank you, Nina. Now I'm just gonna open it up to the floor for anyone to ask these three CIOs a question or even to just make a comment yourselves on, on what you've learned over the last few days. Patricia. Um, I'm Patricia Hudson from State Street. And I sort of wanna go back to um, what we heard from Cyrus Tarapavala on the first day. And it connects to what Mike was describing. So I think if we look at the title of this conference, Fiduciary Investor Symposium, I think it's really important to go back to that definition of what a fiduciary is. And I think one of the most important things that Cyrus said on Sunday is, as we are trying to predict what's going to happen in the future, 
we're looking at all of these cyclical and structural changes from the prism of how they affect investment value. And I think one of the things that I thought got a little murky in some of the discussions over the last three days is that difference between values and value. And I think just as Mike described that he's got a board that has very different views, I think as investors, particularly as long-term investors, we have to be a little bit careful about not um, imposing our own personal values on what should be a value generation exercise. It's a really, really interesting question, isn't it? Because I'm not sure I agree. I mean, I, I obviously don't invest, so I have a completely different view on it, but I bring my values to work every single day. And I know that there's a discussion around that at workplaces and modern workplaces that you, that, you know, this is, it's seamless between work and home and your life. So, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting point. Does anyone want to comment on, on that or? Um... Um, again, sorry, I'm always taking up the Nordic um, model, but that's really built, as we heard from Rebecca, after the wars when we had nothing, um, nobody had anything. That the very strong value of solidarity emerged. And so our pension system is built in 1964, and it actually started emerging before that, on a very strong value of solidarity. And that's, that explains why it is ranked one of the best in the world today, that strong value. So for me, it's easy to think, when I think about the pension system who I serve, that's a value I want to take to work every day because it, it, it is what it's built on. So I suppose we all can try to find the values from the mission we're serving. Um. Well, I actually totally agree with you. Um, and it's interesting that, that um, we started to work on the Neil strategic plan and so we had the leadership uh, offsite and and certainly the question came up like, what is actually our social purpose? And that actually touches right on, on your comments because to me, the social purpose we have is actually that we have enough money to pay out to the Canadian uh, workers who basically work the whole life for Canada. To me, that's the biggest social purpose we have. Um, that's something very different than what kind of company do you, would you like to be? So in terms of corporate culture, et cetera. But it's a very thin line, and a lot of people actually try to actually yeah, merge these two. But I think you should actually keep them very separately. And I think that that was also your statement. So I totally agree with you. Any other questions or comments? We've got five minutes left. No one learned anything this last three days? Everyone's tired, Colin. No, well, maybe we'll come back to the panel. Michael, what, what about yourself? I mean, what, what's been the most interesting part of, obviously, we've been in your home state and um, learned so much from the Harvard professors over the last few days. What, what, what do you think this audience should be focusing on? What should the audience focus on? Oh, I wouldn't be so uh, <laughs> presumptuous. But, uh, you know, in terms of the comments that were made, um, I know it's important um, and investors often think that they should be predicting the future and making investment decisions on their predictions. 
um, and I respect that. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with it fully from my standpoint of being a pension fund manager and trying to create a portfolio that does well in all environments over a very long time. And it's always shocking when I say this, but the Prim has two fundamental beliefs um, that are a little counterintuitive. Number one is no one can predict the future accurately, so we don't even try. And then number two, no one can really accurately predict the markets, so we don't try. And remember um, some of the things that happened in this last cycle, and what comes to mind, and I'm sure we can all think of many, is that Brexit, when it was announced, was supposed to cause a permanent downturn in the UK stock market. Remember what happened, it crashed and then it quickly um, rose. Same thing um, with Trump. That was supposed to cause a, um, many people thought it would cause a permanent downturn in the markets, and at first I think it did. And, and look at this year. You know, it's, it's up, the, the S&P's up 18%, 18.5%. And a lot of people get flat-footed, get caught flat-footed time and time again. So while it's tempting and it feels good sometimes to make predictions and investments based on your, your personal beliefs and predictions about the stock market. I've been in this business long enough. I was a stock um, analyst and portfolio manager for long enough to realize that in anybody, any investor's career, you can be right once, you can be right twice, maybe three or four times, but eventually everyone is always wrong and it's always very costly. So I think it's um, I, I think the, the markets are humbling, and I think it takes a humble approach and a balanced approach to make sure you have investment strategies in your portfolio that can perform well in any environment. Your all-weather portfolio, and I know um, that's a brand name for someone in here, too. Yeah, I think we have to make a difference between predicting the markets and trying to understand where the world is going, i.e. what are the structural changes that are happening, what are the disruptive um, sectors that are, you know, how business models are changing, how, that, thus how cash flows will be changed. So those are two different things like Keen, I think it was Keynes who said, you know, there are two investment beliefs, either it's the beauty contest thing or it is the long-term value creation thing. So I think we have to distinguish those two. Uh, Olivia? Yes, a remark inspired by Michael's comment that we shouldn't be too proud and try to, to time and so on. But the, the implication of that is maybe that you, um, your job is to put together the uh, portfolio allocation and then run it in autopilot. You go to the beach, you, you go sailing the Charles River. No, um, it doesn't mean that. It means um, we don't believe in tactical calls, tactical being short term. We believe in very long-duration, long-term calls. Strategically, for example, going from 50% global equities to 39% global equities over a period of seven years and making that adjustment once a year, a very small amount. So just um, strategic in the, in the sense of long-term. Um, Guided by valuation changes and changes in your parameters, your constraints maybe? 
I, I'm, I didn't follow that. Guided, the changes you make to the strategic allocation would be uh, caused by changes in valuations of the different asset classes and changes in your risk tolerance, your, your, yes. risk, your constraints more generally. Yes, we spend a, a, a lot of time using, you know, I'm, before I got into the investment management industry, I was an engineer by trade. I'm very comfortable with quantitative techniques and we use very sophisticated quantitative techniques to make sure that every single change we make in our asset allocation will, in all likelihood, uh, improve the risk, uh, risk adjusted <coughs> return of the portfolio. No change that we make will ever detract from the calculated risk return um, uh, profile of the fund. So we, we have, I can, it's a longer conversation, but we've developed internal tools to do that sort of thing. It's 30 seconds to four, and we promise to finish on time. What a great way to finish our conference. Please put your hands together for our panel. Just before you run out of the room, um, I'd just like to make a couple of quick acknowledgements. Uh, first of all, to each of you for traveling from around the country and around the world to be with us. I think it's a real privilege to be in a room of such incredible talent, ideas, uh, integrity. Uh, you are all participating and it's been a great three days, I think, for all of us. Uh, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, and for especially where you do work that actually has an input to the world positively, like to members' outcomes and to justice and ESG and sustainability and all those great things that we've been talking about. Uh, also uh, to acknowledge all of the speakers that are not here but have been with us the last three days. Uh, we have absolutely been in the presence of some genius uh, on many, many, many occasions. And it's uh, just on a human level, I think uh, all of you would agree, it's been an inspiring three days whilst also confronting us with the heavy lifting and the work that is ahead to be done. I hope we've somehow uh, made a difference the last three days. We'll find out in the survey. Uh, all that's left to be done now is to get home safely. Thanks for supporting Connexus Financial. Get home safely. Bye-bye.